0: Take your copy and find Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. There will never be an easier verse to find than this one. I believe that Genesis 1, 1 is the most read verse in all the Bible. Many people have set out to read through the Bible. Beginning with Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and they kept reading, reading till they got to the begets, and there they bogged down. But a multitude of people have read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. The book of Genesis, the first book in our Bible, is the key to understanding the rest of the Bible. It's the key to understanding the cosmos that God has made. And Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 is the key to understanding the book of Genesis. Bishop Stephen Neal was a missionary bishop who helped to form the Anglican Church in India. He later went on to become professor of missions at Hamburg University in Germany. In a lecture to his students, Stephen Neal said, and I quote, More Hindus have come to faith in God through Genesis than any other book because Genesis clearly shows the world did not just happen, but was created. Not by 350 million gods and goddesses as the Hindus believe, but by one God. And so today we think about God, the creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Think with me about four truths that are revealed in this one verse about our creator, God. The first one is the existence of God is assumed. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, the existence of God assumed is assumed. We read at the very outset in the beginning God. The fact of God is not argued in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1. In fact the fact of God is not argued anywhere in the Bible. The Bible writers never try to prove the existence of God. Now that shouldn't surprise us. The the matter is I don't know that there's much to be said about you and I trying to prove the existence of God. I'm not upset with those apologists that do that, but the Bible doesn't do that, because the finite can never prove the infinite, but neither can the finite disprove the infinite. fact of the matter is, God does not need any proof. To try to prove the existence of God is to like tear up this grand piano here to try to find Handel's Messiah. It's an impossibility. Uh, We don't prove the existence of God. We embrace the existence of God by faith. It's not a matter of the intellect. It's a matter of faith. Now, keep Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 in mind, but uh, go with me now to Hebrews chapter 11, verse 3. As you well know, the 11th chapter of Hebrews is the great faith chapter of the Bible. The great heroes of faith are identified for us there, many of them by name. And in Hebrews chapter 11 verse 3 we read, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. And so we learn not only in Genesis chapter 1, but in Hebrews chapter 11, that the universe has its existence by the creative command of God. And so we accept the existence of God by faith. An unbeliever, an atheist, accepts by faith, according to his thinking, there is no God. But whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, it's all by faith. We can't prove the existence of God, but the unbeliever cannot disprove the existence of God. Therefore, we embrace by faith the existence of God. For myself, and I think for most of you, you and I choose to believe that God exists. Now, it's not a matter of intellect. We all know that some people have a a greater intellect than others. But uh, you could line up a dozen scientists and uh, you'd have some who believe in the existence of God and you'd have some who don't believe in the existence of God and they're equally uh, trained and educated Uh, so it's not a matter of the intellect at all it's a matter of faith there are plenty of brilliant scientists who believe that God exists and in the beginning God created the heavens of the earth and there are plenty of brilliant scientists who do not It's not a matter of your thought process, it's a matter of your heart. And atheism, that is, the belief that there is no God, is a matter of choice. Did you know there's only one half of one verse in all the canon of Holy Scripture devoted uh, to atheism? In Proverbs, excuse me, in Psalm 14 we read, and the fool says in his heart, there is no God. That's it. Now when God spoke about the atheist, God said he is a fool. And the Hebrew word translated fool there is the word nabal, which means a morally perverse person. Now, an atheist can't find God for the same reason a thief can't find a policeman. He's not looking. He doesn't want to find God. And and so we see that the, the scripture says, the fool says in his heart, no God. Now, as we step back and think about it, atheism is not reasonable. If you believe there's no God, then there's no creator. That means that that you believe that all of the cosmos, all that we see, the heavens, the earth, the rivers, the oceans, the animal kingdom, the plant kingdom, it all is some kind of cosmic accident. To be an atheist is to say that nothing times nobody equals everything. How irrational is that? But I choose to believe the sweet, sublime statement of Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The existence of God is not argued in the Bible, but it is assumed. Second truth, not only is the existence of God assumed, but number two, the eternity of God is affirmed. The eternity of God is affirmed in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. There we read, in the beginning, there was a beginning of time and space back in eternity past, there was no time or space and in the beginning God created time and space. We see this not only taught in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1, we see it taught in John's gospel chapter 1 verses 1 and 2. So uh, uh, take a moment and find John's gospel chapter 1, this great prologue to this wonderful gospel and uh, the first two verses. We read words that sound very similar to what we see in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. John the Apostle penned these words under the inspiration of the Spirit of God. In the beginning was the Word, that is the Logos, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This is a a reference to the second person of the Godhead, the Son of God, who took on human flesh and lived for a while among us. And so we see in Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 and in John chapter 1 verses 1 and 2 that the eternality of God is affirmed. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit without beginning, without ending. From everlasting to everlasting He is God. His eternality is affirmed. I want you to see as we think about the eternity of God, first of all, that God is not bound by time. You and I are, every one of us. We think in terms of past, present, future. Last Sunday morning, I preached to you on salvation in three tenses. We said, the Bible teaches that we have been saved, as past tense, From the penalty of our sins, that's justification. We are being saved, present tense, moment by moment, from the power of sin against us, that's sanctification. And someday at the end of the age when King Jesus comes again, our salvation will be complete and consummated. We shall be saved someday from the very presence of sin, that's glorification. So we we think in terms of past, present, and future. Yesterday, maybe you had a cheeseburger for lunch. Maybe tomorrow you'll have pizza. Our existence is bound up by time, 60 seconds to a minute, 60 minutes to an hour, 24 hours to a day, seven days to a week, 52 weeks to a year. We, we think in terms of time, but not God. God is not bound by time. God is eternal there is no yesterday today and tomorrow for God for God everything is one eternal now that's why God can know the future as well as the past because God sees the future before it ever happens God sees it he is not bound by time our God is an eternal God I don't know about you but that gives me great consolation I have nothing to fear if my God is not bound by time. Amen. Thank you. But not only is God not bound by time, but second, I want you to see God is not bound by space. Now, you and I are bound by space. We are in the worship center of Lakeview Baptist Church. We're not in the worship center of some other church in our town. Uh, we're in Auburn, Alabama. We're, we're not in some other city in our state. Oh, we can't be but one place at a time. But not God. God is everywhere present at the same time. There's no place where God is not. King David in Psalm 139 asked this question, where can I flee from your presence? And he answered by saying, if I go up to the heavens, you are there. And if I make my bed in the depths, you are there. God is everywhere present. He is here with us in this worship center. He is with believers wherever they gather on this Lord's day throughout the earth because God is eternal. He's neither bound by time nor by space. So our God is eternal. The Bible affirms the eternal nature of God. The Bible assumes the existence of God. And then third, in Genesis 1, one, we learn that the energy of God is announced. In the beginning, God created. That word translated created is a unique word. It's the Hebrew word bara, which means to create out of nothing. God didn't use some pre-existing matter to form and shape the universe. Not at all. God created from nothing. We see this in John chapter 1 verse 3. Look there, Uh, John the apostle writes, through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. God is the creator of everything. Now sometimes we speak of a person as being a very creative person. I may be a musician or an artist and I don't want to discount that. Cause when it comes to creative matters like that, I'm I'm on the very low end of the totem pole. I'm not upset about that. I just not made that way. But if you think about it, no one is really creative. Because he who creates, she who creates is working with pre-existing matter ladies, you make a cake. If you're going to make a cake, well, you got to have something to work with, right? Flour, eggs, sugar. Who made the flour, the eggs, and the sugar? Not you. Men, you're going to build a dog house for your family pet? You're going to work with lumber and nails and roofing materials? Who made that? So, no matter how creative we may think we are, the fact of the matter is only God himself is creative and we are working with pre-existing materials. God is is the one who is is ultimately creative and because God created all, he is the owner of it all. I submit to you, if God is the owner of everything, and he is, then if God wants to play king of the mountain, he can use his backyard, the Rockies, the Andes, the Alps, or the Himalayas, He made them. If God is the owner of everything, and He is, if He wants to take a dip in the pool, He can dip in the Pacific Ocean, the Atlantic Ocean, the Indian Ocean, or the Arctic Ocean, He made them all. If God needs a bit of running water, He can choose from the Nile River, the Mississippi River, the Amazon River, or the Colorado. They're all His. By his creative power and energy, he made them all. I like the way that one eloquent black preacher said, God stepped out from behind the curtain of nowhere and stood on a platform of nothing and spoke the universe into existence. There's a man who understands Genesis. James Weldon Johnson was a famous preacher of another era. They say it was very eloquent. James Weldon Johnson said, God stepped out in space and looked around and said, I'm lonely. I'll make me a world. No, God wasn't lonely. God doesn't need us. Now, God did make the world. He got that part right. But God didn't create this universe and populate it with The sons and daughters of Adam because God was lonely. God needs nothing. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, the great triune God is sufficient, fulfilled in and of himself, all three persons in one Godhead. God didn't make us because he is lonely. God's complete. So this morning we have considered... The existence of God, the eternity of God, the energy of God. Fourth and finally, I want you to think with me about the eminence of God. The eminence of God is asserted in Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. Look at it again. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God made them. God is greater than the creation. And since God created the heavens and the earth, then God is to be worshipped by His creation. Uh, look with me in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11. Uh, the last book of our Bible, Revelation chapter 4. Uh, there in verse 11, we have this scene of the Lord God being worshipped by His creation you are worthy our Lord and God to receive glory and honor and power for you created all things and by your will they were created and have their being now you can you can just trace Revelation four eleven all the way back to Genesis chapter 1 verse 1 When we read in Revelation 4.11 that God created all things, then we're just reading what we already learned in the first book of the Bible. So from the first book of the Bible, Genesis, to the last book of the Bible, the book of the Revelation, we we see the affirmation that God created everything. Therefore, the eminence of God is asserted here because we read in verse 11, you're worthy, our Lord and our God to receive glory and honor and power. Do you know why God made you? The same reason he made me, for his glory. When I teach the catechism class for children to prepare them for baptism, the first thing, first question is, who made you? Answer, God. Second question, why, uh, what else did God make? Answer, God all things. Third question, why did God make you in all things? Answer, for his glory. That's why God made us, to glorify him and to enjoy him. Now the fact of the matter is Until you and I come to the place where that is the consuming passion of our lives, we're always going to come a a little bit disappointed, depending on how far away from that purpose we have in life. St. Augustine said, and I quote, You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and we are restless until we find our rest in you. There's a God-shaped blank in every person's heart that only God can fill. Until you come to that place in your life, you're, you're going to be perpetually uh, unfulfilled. But if you have a relationship with God through faith in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the Spirit of God has come to dwell within you, and the rivers of living water are flowing through you, then you'll have joy unspeakable and full of glory. Joy for you in the glory of God. You know, the devil promises, but he always overpromises and he never delivers on his promises. He's a thief. He's a liar. He's a murderer. And he will tell you if you'll just yield to a particular temptation, whatever it may be, that you're going to find a good time it's a lie you come to Jesus you submit to Jesus you yield to Jesus you embrace the Lord Jesus Christ as the consuming passion of your life and you seek to live for his glory and his glory alone and I promise you on the authority of God's holy inspired inerrant word that you'll never be disappointed in Jesus never 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 I've been walking with Jesus for 50, 60 something years. I've failed him many times but he has never failed me, never. And the Lord Jesus Christ loves you with an everlasting love, an unconditional love, a Calvary love. He went to the cross, stretched out his arms on the cross. Those. Big spikes driven into his hands and his feet. There he hung suspended between heaven and earth. His sinless blood fell down from his body on the cross for the remission of our sins. We don't have to live lives filled with guilt and fear. We have a Savior who paid our sin debt in full that we might be forgiven and justified and someday glorified in his presence but in this world we can have rest again you have made us for yourself O Lord and we do not find our rest until we find it in you do you have this rest? if not why not you can have it it's it's part of the gift of God who gives eternal rest to all who trust in him in a moment we're going to stand together as a congregation we're going to sing what we call our song of decision decision that every man or woman has to make it's a decision to trust Christ. If, uh, if I could decide for you, I would. It doesn't work that way. Only you can decide to trust Christ. But I promise you, you can be saved today. Many who received him, to them gives you the power to become the children of God. Today, God has brought you to this place that you might come to know the creator of the universe and not just to know him as creator but know him in a personal saving way as your Lord and Savior your pastor here 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 and here pray with you talk with you answer your questions Want you to Jesus? And Jesus stands before you, with arms outstretched, saying, "Come, come to me, come." While we stand and sing, would you come to Jesus?